Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Aaron Coulter and I'm the news editor at Resonant Advisor. For the past 20 years, James Harrison and Dominic Capello have spent most Saturday nights behind the booth at Subclub. They started Subculture at the famed Glasgow night spot back in 1994, which makes their residency one of the world's longest running house and techno nights. Both were already ingrained in Glasgow's nightlife before Subculture started. Harrison ran a subclub residency called Atlantis with Slams, Stuart McMillan and Ord Michael, while Capello had developed an early passion for electro and breakdancing. When the duo popped by our London office in late December, they were in a jovial mood and it was little surprise. They were at the end of a milestone year that saw them play some of Europe's key nightclubs as well as celebrate the 20th anniversary of subculture. Subculture celebrated its 20th anniversary this year. How, how have you guys gone about celebrating? Getting drunk. <laughs> that's, a, that's how we celebrate every every, 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 day. every Saturday. <laughs> yeah, every weekend. We celebrated, we had one night on the 20th, and then the rest of it's just been kind of yeah, this, this, vlogging this, a day toss. <laughs> this, this year's been pretty busy for us because I think, kind of off the back of doing the, what do you call it, boiler room? Yeah. We noticed our crowd getting a bit younger and it seemed to get younger and younger throughout the years and we've also had a really busy year this year as well we've been away loads you know we've been in croatia a couple of times ibiza a couple of times and guesting here there and everywhere if anything away too often i would say i mean looking at through the gigs you guys have played this year in terms of just club shows there's been trail there's been panorama bar there's been warehouse project do you feel like you're at a bit of a career high into now in terms of the places you're playing no i think we always played places like that you know just on and off but we were always reluctant to go away on a saturday or both of us anyway or the and also the club was reluctant to let both of us go away so it used to be either i would go play panorama bar or harry would go play trial or whatever and it was always you know but this year it's been more than both of us doing it together and the club have allowed us to do that. So that's that's been the main difference. But we've always played those places, but generally... It's yeah, been we always did it separately. Separately, because the club always liked at least one of us being, you know, in the in the sub club, just for the stability thing. But this year, they obviously, there was too many opportunities in the club, you know, very nicely let us, let yeah, us do let our us own thing together. Yeah, yeah that's it because very rarely I think until this year we'd never been away together on a Saturday had we no once I think maybe once yeah. but it used to be we were only I was all allowed away maybe seven ten Saturdays in a year yeah. You know, and this year we've done that was it. The, what was it? Eight was it eight Saturdays a year or six Saturdays six a year. year? We used to that was the whole thing, but then we did seven weeks in a row there for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah. Well Harry says it's too much, you know, we prefer coming back to the club, but We've done it this year. I don't think we'll do as many. No. All, all those gigs were great. You know what? They were all kind of dynamite gigs, but our residency is pretty special. So you very rarely get a night that's okay. They're always pretty, pretty amazing. Mm. 
and what is it that makes the you know that residency at Sub Club so special? I, I think it's there's a mixture of friendly f- people you know, yeah. friendly faces, the staff, the the bar staff, the sound, all the people that work there. We all know each other. Yeah, the people coming down, you know most of them, or you know a lot of them. It's almost like going to your local boozer and seeing your friends, but you get to play the records. I think in b- bigger places, maybe, I, d- I don't know if this is the case, but you kind of get a sense of, you know, when you come to London, if you go to Fabric or somewhere, yeah, you, you get to play to good, big, busy clubs, but they don't feel as intimate. I think loads of people in the sub-club know each other because it's mainly people from Glasgow. It's not tourists or whatever, so you get that kind of, it's like your local yeah, vibe, you know? And having had a, a residency that's stretched for, for 20 years... How have you kind of noticed that the crowds change? You've kind of touched on that. You've, you've noticed you're playing to younger crowds this yeah. year. How, how it's that? always the case. Quite often people who, who came when we first started, you know, come down and go, geez, the crowd's really young tonight. And you go, no, you've just not been for a couple of years. It's always probably been that kind of age group. It's just that when you're there every week, you don't notice it changing. I mean, my children were born when I started doing that and they, they both come now. But the time just flies by when we're up there every week it's you don't notice it as much you know as, as Harry says friends will come down and say crowd looks a bit younger tonight and you ask what is the Jew when you first come down and they were saying oh 17, 18 so the crowd always has to replenish itself if it doesn't you wouldn't last a weekly night 20 years you know because what happens is people are students they go out every weekend they leave yeah they get their jobs they, they come down now and again then married. they get a mortgage and they, they they enter into grown-up life and they come down now and again. So we always need the younger people coming down who have got that sort of energy that come down every single week and want to party, mixed with the people who have just just started getting jobs and then the older crowd. And you'll get nights, like maybe a big birthday night or whatever, with that whole crowd mixed together. And they mix together seamlessly. Yeah, really well. Tell me a bit about what was happening in your own lives when you started that subculture residency in, in 94. I was at college, I was at School of Audio Engineering, doing sound engineering. I was still DJing, I was DJing at the sub club for warm-ups and stuff for Atlantis, who were the, it was the night that was there before we took over. Harry was still doing Atlantis. I was a resident there for four years before I started doing it with Dom. I did it with the two guys from Slam, Orton Stewart, Soma, and we did it together weekly for four years, but... At the end of that four years, the numbers were starting to go down. We had like three and a half years of being really mobbed. And then they started another night round the corner on a Friday, which kind of killed our Saturday vibe a bit. And so the numbers started dropping off and dropping off. And then we got Dom in. We immediately, I mean, I was kind of really quite scared when we started the Saturday that people might not come, but the numbers just went right back up and we were really busy again. I take complete credit for all of that. (laughs) Dominic, you had a midweek residency at Sub Club first, is that right? I wouldn't call it a residency. Anybody, I DJed, I think it was once a month or a Thursday, we did. I mean, it was with Mike and Paul organised it, who then ended up owning the club, and it was with various people, but I didn't really... I had done bits and bobs, you know, DJ'd Thursday nights, Wednesday nights, and DJ'd all over Glasgow. The main thing I did at the time was, uh, it was after parties called Desert Storm, 
and that's how I met Harry. And that's where Harry first heard me DJing, and that's where it kind of these were the big after parties in special places after the clubs were shut. This one was in this one was in a castle. There was ones in Loch Lomond. There was ones in they would find empty buildings in Glasgow and just roll in roll in electricity and just have these parties. It was it was brilliant, and that was I used to do them all the time, and that's where I kind of started getting noticed for doing these things because they never put on any of the big DJs who were all playing in the clubs. It was all young guys that were coming through that obviously wouldn't charge them any any DJ fees, but you were still DJing to six. 700 people you know and it was amazing pretty much playing until the police came were you doing those parties on your own or well I was DJing I was doing it with guys Stevie Donaldson and there was a couple other DJs for Desert Storm but it was a guy Keith who got me in he was running Desert Storm but they ended up during the the Balkan war and stuff they went over to the Balkans and took the whole thing with them and DJed there and stuff like that for people and, and for the for villages and stuff like that and then they never really they never did it back in Glasgow after that they all went away their separate ways but we, the police killed it you know the first couple it was, the, the police would maybe take two or three hours to turn up but then they start looking out for you you know in any queues of people wandering about Glasgow at five in the morning they're going to get noticed so it killed it you know but at the time when it was going it was it was amazing and what kind of records were you playing at those, at those House, parties? house, just pure house. House and techno, just like we would play. When you go to after parties now, it's quite druggy and stuff, but it wasn't. I remember playing things like Richie Rich, Salsa House and Love Dancing, you know, um, Underground Solution, stuff like that. The whole place was going nuts. And before that, you were playing a lot of blues records. Yeah, yeah. I started playing blues when I was 17 in a bar. It was a guy I worked with, he DJ'd in there, and I used to make tapes up for work. He said, you've got a big collection of records, why don't you come down one night and just have a 20 minute shot? And he did a Thursday, and I went down, took some records, and the guy who owned the bar said, right, you've got the Thursday, and he moved my friend to the Friday night, and I was 17, I wasn't even allowed to drink. In the bar, they used to give me lemonade, and I was just playing, that's how I started playing. And what was your entry point into blues? Like how? It was just, blues was just something, a guy I kicked about with, a guy I hung out with, John, and he he'd build a brother who had an amazing record collection. One night we are in the car on a Friday night, and he's got muddy waters on, and I'm just like, I've never heard anything like this in my life, what is it? And the next day, just, I had such a big record collection, even at that age, and I just thought, I don't want to listen to any of them, I just want to hear that groove, that move again, that just that soulful, bluesy, raw sound. And so I went to Virgin and bought three albums, and then it just kind of went from there, where I just used to buy an album, two albums a week, and just get obsessed. And you were you're a break dancer too. <laughs> well, I wasn't very good, but I was. Really? <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of stood at the sides. I was more. It was again. It was a big thing at our schools, break dancing stuff. So we all used to do it in the corridors in school and stuff. But it was the music I loved. You know, the music, the, the early electro music, all the electro compilations and stuff, and all that music coming from America. That was the first imports I bought when I was about fourteen. We used to go to a place in Paisley and buy all these records that were all for America. Early Cybertron, Houdini, all that sort of stuff, Nucleus. I never bought any from America. They were only street sound compilations. <laughs> well, I used to buy the 12 inches like I'm up at. That was, that was my first introduction to electronic music. And Harry, before you were doing the Atlantis parties with, with Slam, you were DJing before that as well, that's right? Yeah, yeah. I started kind of... Well, I worked in the oil industry in Aberdeen and I started more night, but a friend of mine had started a reggae sound system in East School Bride. That would be kind of late mid to late 70s and I started Moon Night in Aberdeen and then when I moved back to Glasgow I started Moon Night in East School Bride it was a bit of a disaster then my brother's friend 
Ewan Dale was a resident at the sub club. The sub club was going at that time. That would have been about 1986 or something. And he was going on holiday and asked me to take his place on holiday. And then they asked me for, for my phone number at the end of the night. And then I ended up just kind of doing it on an occasional basis if, if somebody was away or whatever for a few years. And then I did different nights for different people. I did a Sunday night in another club around the corner from the sub that got quite busy on a Sunday. And then the sub club came to myself and the Slam guys in about 1990 or something and asked us if we wanted to do the Saturday nights, which we did fairly unsuccessfully for a few months. And then Stuart McMillan of Slam and myself did the Stone Roses gig at Glasgow Green. And off the back of that gig, we pulled a massive crowd. From then on, it, it just stayed really busy. So tell me a bit about that gig. Were you just sort of playing a DJ set before the Stone Roses yeah. came on? Yeah, yeah, it was a tent in Glasgow Green. I think it was just after they'd done the Spike Island thing. And in all honesty, Stuart and I didn't know who they were. <laughs> we were like, who are these guys? Because when we arrived there, there was like massive big queues. And we were like, what is going on? Never heard of them. And that, that's interesting that obviously a lot of people in that crowd picked up on, on yeah, who you guys were. Yeah, was, yeah. It, was it like a, as instant as the following weekend, the crowd? Yes, it was. It was like that. You know, it was like everybody came after that gig. So we had a big queue. So we went from really having about 150 to 200 people that had come to other things that we'd done between us to suddenly just getting a... Well, before that, I did a thing called UFO with Stephen Sleepman in Tin Pan Alley, and that was kind of acid house. Is that not with Lars? I did it with Lars Sandberg, you know, Funk Devoid, myself, and John De Silva from the Hacienda. We were... And Adrian Rennie, we were the, the residents there. I think I must have done that for about a year. Then the subclub guys came and asked us if we wanted the Saturday night there. And we took it and it just... But I think the, the Stone Roses gig was a kind of catalyst for, you know, getting us busy. And it sounds like there was a, a couple of really good years there before Slam's Friday night party sort of started to impact on your Saturday nights. Uh, three and a half, I would say, yeah. We would do the queue every Saturday. And do you think they were some of the earliest examples of, like, the, the Glasgow crowd kind of really showing a love and appreciation of, like, of good house and I was there every week. I was just but, a punter. Uh, yeah, I was there every it, week. It was amazing. But even before the, the kind of house thing took off, say maybe late 80s or whatever, you know, and house just got played occasionally, you know, it was just part of the night. You know, they'd play, like, early Detroit stuff, but you'd also still be playing James Brown and things as well, you know. And tell me about the early days of your residency together, of subculture. You said it got off to a fairly flying start. Yeah. Well, there was three of us initially. There was Oscar Floney, who now lives down here. And a wee plug for Oscar there, who's got a club in, what's it called? Some market, Broadway Market. Now, but he, he left to come to London. How, how long was Oscar there? A year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We got off to a fairly flying start, we didn't got we? Typical. We got off to a flying start. It was really busy for about the first six, eight months, and then it weaned away for a bit. I think it was just when the students went away. Typical, you know, in Glasgow, when the students go away. You'd get a quiet summer, a yeah. quiet summer. And then we were all panicking. <laughs> and then, because it had been so busy, we had hardly, and it's weekly. And then all of a sudden, there was loads of other people opening up monthly nights 
yes. and putting a guest on. Yeah. So four weeks out of the you know of the month, we'd be up against someone else who's putting someone else like a guest on, and they would go. People would think, all right, there's a guest on somewhere else. We can see Harry and Dom next week, or we can see them the following week because we're always there. So I think we took. You know, that kind of killed, not killed the crowd, but it well, we started of, using more guests because yeah. initially we didn't really we didn't, didn't put a guest guests on very often. For, a first, for the first year. It was just us for the whole, yeah. whole year. And then and we started it. And the first guest was Stacey yeah. Poulin, and he was only 17. Stacey, he came staying at my mum's, and we got him addicted to Iron Brew. That was good. But um, that was our first ever guest. Again, after that, you know, there's there's lows. Over the 20 years, there's been lows, but... Even the lows are, are no, amazing compared yeah, yeah. to a lot of other things, you know. Doing a weekly night, you're going to have quiet, the odd quiet night. You know, I, we'd won this year, which was, I was gutted about. We had Juju and Jordash on live, and I was dying to hear them. And they were really excited about playing the club, and it was just one of those weeks where it was still a bit, you know, it was a bit quiet. But the atmosphere was still excellent. They were brilliant, but... I don't mind if it's just me and Harry because we, we're used to it and sometimes those nights are, are amazing, the best yeah. nights because people have got a bit more room to dance, it's not as hot and sweaty and people just kind of let loose a wee bit more. But because it was a guest, they were excited about coming to play, I actually felt bad for them the whole night. But that was, I think it was the only night I can remember this year, one night. I don't think we've had what, would, what we used to consider a quiet night, mm -hmm. you know, compared to more recent years, you know, we were pretty mobbed most every week. When you started flying out US guys, you said Stacey Pullen was the yeah. was the first guest. What what were the logistics behind doing that in those days? Kenny Larkin not one of the first. Kenny was second. Really? Kenny couldn't mix at the time. Or he was kind of DJ, but we just loved his tunes. He had a brand new record case with all brand new records, That's and right. we were like, "Oh no, he's never used these. He's never played these <laughs> records before." Um, the logistics yeah. we didn't. Have to be fair, that was Mike and Paul would do all the logistics. You know, get a hold of them. Used to be the most guys when we started, they didn't have agents. Agents, we just get a hold of them through their record label. You know, just phone up the record office. We want to book Stacey Pullen. And then we got to know Derek May and the guys that worked at Transmat and Stacey came over. And, um, and then eventually agents managed to get in and that kind of changed the game a well, bit. One of the first agents was a guy, what's his name? Eddie Richards. Dynamics. Dynamics. He did all the American but DJs. I think our first guests were Stacey Pullen, Kenny Larkin, Alton Miller. Eric Rugg, yeah. And that was what, what some of our first guests. But we'd maybe have a guest on once every six weeks, and then we took it down to once a month. Yeah, and then and we kind of did a couple of months, because I remember old flyers that we had where we started doing like Ashley mm -hmm. Beadle and ah, yeah. putting on quite a lot, you know. In terms of the US guys, was could have been the first time they were coming out to play in the it UK. It was, yeah, yeah. A lot of them, the first time Moody Man played, I think, in UK played with us. Again, it was only, that was a quiet night. It was in between Christmas and New Year. No one had really heard of him, and he came down, he was brilliant. And then the second time he played, there was like a cure on the block. You know, it's just like Stacey was, we were always busy at that time when Stacey played, so that didn't matter. But a lot of guys, we broke maybe too early. You know, some yeah. guys nobody had heard. Offhand, I can't think in my head, but there was a few. I remember a few guys that were, that became massive now that we put them on and no one had heard of them and there was maybe 150 DJs in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was all train spotters. Francois Kevorkian, that wasn't us that put that on, no. but it was like 40 people to see 40 him or something. people to see Francois K on a Sunday in the subway. Yeah. And what year was that? Early 90s. Yeah. It was Kevin Mackay, I think. Mm -hmm. that, so it was a pretty high success rate in terms of the, the parties you were throwing, but it wasn't, these things weren't guaranteed, and, and maybe there wasn't. No, these, we never put on guests really to pull punters. We put them on because we wanted most to hear them. The, yeah, <laughs> basically because we liked them. It was nothing to do with, oh, will they pull? No. You know? Pretty naive. You think I know, when it. you think about it now, now sometimes you go, oh, we could put on so and so, but. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just going to go, who's that? You know? Whereas then, we didn't really care. We just thought, 
this person is amazing. Mm -hmm. They'll be really good, you know. As the 90s kind of developed, how did the, the Glaswegian party scene sort of develop? It was funny, it changed. House music became a bad word almost for a while in Glasgow when Jungle came in. A lot, I remember still laughing at a lot of these Muppets, the Jungle house DJs who sold their house records so they could buy Jungle records and this was the future. As soon as I heard Jungle in a tampon advert, I knew it was fucked, do you know what I mean? So, but techno I, as well, I mean, aye. when we started doing the Saturdays, Glasgow was becoming techno city. Aye, aye. I think the slam guys were up about 146 beats a minute or something at that point you know what I mean it was like you'd go on and at plus eight you couldn't mix in your first record because everything got so fast didn't Aye. it and we weren't really like that we've always kind of been 120 I mean when we were going mental we'd be up at 126 28 <laughs> what we that thought was, was techno <laughs> is probably still regarded as house but things like Juan Atkins and stuff we'd still play all that sort of Detroit stuff but it's not fast you know it's like soulful, it's funky. So that was the stuff we would play. But as I say, a lot of jungle guys, so a lot of younger guys were coming into the record shops and they weren't buying house music anymore. And we were still playing house and they were thinking, why? You know, they'd kind of fallen out of love with house. But like everything, there would be two choices, whether stop playing house or just stick with your guns. And we just stuck with our guns. And eventually the whole thing came back round again. And then you had like the prescription guidance set up music. Derek Carter, all these sort of guys, Matt Farina, Sound Patrol, all that sort of music started coming out. Kind of revitalised a lot of the, you know, the house scene in Glasgow. And when did you guys first start to get gigs outside of Glasgow or outside of Scotland? Okay. I, I, had a, I had a residency in London from about, I don't know what year I started it, 91, 92, I think I started. No. When did Plastic People start? Started in Oxford. 96, 95, 96. Was it? Uh, maybe now because mm -hmm. I did the, the Millennium there. So it would have been there, but I was seven years or something, I think I was there. Mm -hmm. Was that with Kenny Hawkes or? Yeah, I did it with Kenny. And how did, how did that come, come about? Weirdly, a guy that we knew from Glasgow, Tim Barr, was editor of a magazine called Generator. And he put me in the front cover of it and off the back of that this guy phoned me and I actually thought it was a wind up I thought someone was winding me up you know offering me this gig in London da 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 and I was who is this do you know what I mean I thought it was like a prank phone call and then it came to be I went down and then he said do you want to come back and do this monthly and I was like yeah cool so I did and he was putting me on with Mrs Woods and people like that guests that were like really the opposite end of the musical spectrum and I was thinking this is a bit bonkers and then one week he put me on with Kenny and I was like that I th it just turned out that was a really good week he got a good write up and time out or whatever so I said I think we should just stick with us which is what he did and we ended up doing it together for years and it was a monthly, and which night was, were you going down? Fridays, Fridays are firing in Oxford Street. It was, no, it wasn't a monthly, it was a weekly. It moved to weekly after the... Oh. Uh, well, I did it monthly for maybe about six months, and then it went weekly, and so I'd fly down on a Friday night and fly back on a Saturday afternoon. And did you develop like a crowd there that were, were coming every week? Yeah, it was really good. It was a tiny club, but you got a really good vibe. And I'm still in touch with loads of the people that used to come to that club as well. Yeah, it was a really good. And also I had a record that was a kind of minor hit round about then as well. And off the back of that, I got a few gigs here, there and everywhere, you know. And at this point, were you guys travelling together to, to play gigs? Or no, that, that, was, that was obviously Separately, not? yeah. We always... I always separate. Always separately. Harried people that liked his sort of music. We have a different musical styles, although they complement each other when we play, but we have a different style. So some people wanted Harry's thing and other people would want my thing and they would book us separately and we'd play at different clubs. 
And was there a point when you started to find yourself becoming more professional in that you were treating DJing as as your job, your full time? I, I think at that time we were uh, mid nineties. We were, and then we were travelling since nineteen nineties. Yeah, the only so job I've had. It's all done. It was pretty much well. What I took, I was twenty four when I became resident sub club, and that was professional since since then. We were travelling and stuff, and then I had, had a kid. When was that? <laughs> Two thousand. No, I 2000, and I stopped travelling as much because I just hated being away from my, my kid. When I was knocking back loads of away gigs, eventually people just stopped asking. And I would maybe do the one or two. There was I used to do the food club in Leuven, which I love doing. I used to do that quite a lot, and that was probably one of the only gigs I would go away for, maybe that and basics and stuff like yeah. that, a couple of English things. But generally I stopped travelling because just every time I was away, it was just brutal. My daughter would be in bits and stuff. Now she's doesn't even notice I'm going, so <laughs> travelling again, you know, it's, it's great. <laughs> When's Jasper born? My son was born the year that we would have... Oh, no, the year started Slam, mm -hmm. 1990. But, uh, yeah, I kind of went away. I look at old diaries. I've still got... And I was away loads to places like Forfar, <laughs> Aberdeen, you know what I mean? Manchester, places all over, really. i kind of amazed at how much I was actually doing when I look at it now, because at the time it didn't necessarily feel like it. And what kind of changes have you seen the, the sub club go through down the years? It's more professional now. Yeah, it is. It's probably, <laughs> yeah, more professional. It used to be, it was, we were all kind of a bit naive. And sometimes, you know, you'd be hunting, trying to find a decent needle for the, the, the deck. No, they'd, ha they'd have a, a jar of a jar. old broken needles in the office. So if one <laughs> needle went, they gave you old broken ones. Try this one. <laughs> Try this one. I know you're... Daft da things like that, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just what it's... They yeah, actually think about it now, you know. It's, now we've got a sound guy and it's like very professional right, and everything, you know. But 20 years ago, it was kind of yeah, just bring your records in and try not to spill beer on the decks, pretty much. And have there been a lot of behind the scenes changes in, in yeah, those? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, obviously we get sound guy and Sean in, we used to have someone doing the lights and stuff, and obviously just even the bar staff and stuff, you know, in the sub club you used to, you'd be lucky if you managed to get a cold beer 20 That's years ago. Right, yeah. Me and Harry used to have to get pink glasses with ice because the fridges were rubbish and just this yeah. daft. Again, it was like every other club in Glasgow, there was not, it was, everything was spent on the sound, you know, and just getting people in. And now the sub club, you're not waiting too long for a drink. The, the drinks are cold. Everything's run perfectly behind the bar. Everything's run perfectly up the stairs at the door. The sound's bang on. The only people who can make a mess it's usually me and Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the, the licensing laws in Scotland mean that if it's just you guys playing on, a, on a, any given night, you're playing four-hour sets. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we play two hours each, yeah. So it's, we always usually do an hour about. We do hours about, so it's 11 till 3, but just depends who's starting. It's, it's created a certain style of DJing because it's more dynamic, more intense. When you hear other guys coming, they maybe spend an hour and a half trying to get what they're saying in their set, whereas we pretty much need to do it instantly because you've got such a short, a short time. night, yeah. You know? So you're, you're more or less instantly going into a, a peak time scenario. Not, really. not not peak time, but just even just the way you play your deep deeper stuff. It can't no link records, you know. Everything has to be good. Every track has to be good. You can't spend four minutes on some beats and a couple of sound effects that I'll hear a lot of DJs do just so they can go from one to another. Used to talk about mixing tunes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good mixing tune. You know what I mean? So it, was just, it would just be a, a kind link of breathing space yeah, tune yeah. because with a shorter night. I mean, in nineteen ninety, Glasgow, had the European City of Culture or something, and it had a five o'clock license. So there was that thing where you. You could do that. You, you could, could take let, your time. You could take your time on a night, whereas with a three o'clock license, it's just a different dynamic. You know, really, you want the dance floor by midnight. You'll yeah. warm up until then and keep it, 
but you want people on the dance floor by 12. Usually, I mean, I don't play beats sometimes till quarter past, 20 past, half past 11, so people come in, there'll be soundtrack here, there'll be sort of soul on, Harry will play old soul and reggae and stuff. So it's not you come in and it's like going, it's not like that, the volume, we keep the volume down, so people come in, they're chatting, and you can just feel the energy building, the sounds building as the tempo builds, as the beats start to come in, and it kind of coaxes people onto the floor rather than forcing them on. But once you've got them on, then you keep them there. And that's the difference. What would you be looking for in records that you'd be like, yeah, this is going to work for, for sub club? For what, for a peak time? Yeah, yeah, in terms of that, that so the house records you're I think, buying. I think I always just try and buy records I like and then try and put them in a way I'm that it'll be like. translated to people that have never heard it before. I think that's... I, I never listen and go, oh, that's going to rock a dance floor up because <laughs> sometimes that, that doesn't, doesn't work. doesn't work, no. You know, you'll think, oh, that track's amazing, I'm going to play that. And you play it, and maybe the position I've played it or the, the time I've played it, it doesn't work quite work as well as you've thought. And then there's surprises or tracks. You've listened to them in the house and you think, it's pretty good, I'll play it tonight. You play it and it just comes alive in the club and... The whole place goes nuts. So there's there's always a surprise. All you can do is just buy what you like, buy records that you like, think they're good, and then just play them in a way that other people can. I think it, I mean to. we probably both do the same thing as well. You know, there's certain <clears throat> records that you'll buy and almost in your mind you go that'll be good at this time. Mm -hmm. Th this is that time of night Night's, record. Yeah, yeah. You know that's last hour sort of record. That's you know what I mean. Between that's twelve a warm and one, up that's, record. That's the kind of crossover record. Yeah. just from warm up. You almost slot them in up. your own mind into what time Times. of a night they'll sound good at. And if you're not doing that set that week, it can be frustrating because you've got a great. You don't get to play it. You don't get to play it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how did you find that? You know, from playing together every Saturday night, how did you find that your DJing style as a duo developed? Again, you don't think about it, it's just natural. I think it was just like uh, Harry's doing one thing and it's been going well. I will link onto that for a couple of tracks, then try and take it in another way. And if, yeah. I'm, if Harry's really been banging it out, I'll maybe soften it up for a bit and then go another way and vice versa. I think you just kind of feed off each other. You don't want to do it. It kind of gauge in the night from yeah. the dance floor. You're kind of watching and yeah. even when you're in the office, you can know without even leaving the office exactly what's happening yeah. by the way that the other person is playing. I could, you know what I mean? You can you get a sense of how it's going and then you're maybe there for the last 15 minutes as someone's someone set or maybe you're there the whole time but you're talking and keeping an eye on things. And you're watching and listening. And you're trying to compliment. You don't want yeah. to come off someone and go, bang, this is a big change. Mm. You want to kind of glide off someone else and into your own thing. And you don't want to do the exact same thing they've just done, you know, which yeah. just sounds boring again. So, But you're thinking, I would like to hear maybe a... I'd like to hear a really good techno track just now and Harry's playing a really housey set and then I'll go on and a couple of tracks later I'll play a big sort of techno track. But other times you're thinking, oh, I want to bring it down now when Harry's come off, you know, and bring it down for a bit. And so you're just constantly thinking. People, my friends are, you know, used to it, but they stand try to chat to you in the club and you're kind of one year listening to them, one year watching, you know, listening to Harry and watching the crowd. So you're kind of not really listening to people and you're just yeah. always... Feeling what's what you, what you can do when That's you go on. Kind of it. You're just feeling it the whole time. You're just thinking, all oh, right, okay, it's like this, it's like this. You don't really switch off from it while while you're in there. Have you found as like the longer you guys played together that you were making better selections in terms of the records you were pulling out? No, I think I've always done it. It kind of seemed to come fairly natural. It did. I think it just came from the, from the very beginning. And I think if you've got half a brain and you you can DJ, then you can always feed off another DJ. You know, some guys will go, and I just want to do my thing. 
And I could understand that in some ways, you know, they just want to do their thing. doesn't matter what's gone before. It doesn't matter what's coming after. They do their, their own particular thing. But we, it's more a team than, yeah. you know, than just the, than the individual, you know. It's like tonight <coughs> we're, we're doing the dance tunnels with Optimo. But because we played with those guys so many times, we can just do three records about all night. And then as it gets nearer the end, we'll go two records about, one, one record night. about. But because we've all known and been to each other's nights so often, it's effortless and it's actually it's enjoyable because it's a challenge. It's exciting. You never know where they're going to get left Because you with. don't know how they're going to leave you, but you've got to make the night complete. It's not about you making a wee statement in yeah. the middle of someone else. It's about the night. It's about making the night work. Rather you know? than your individual yeah. ego. And how much did you find that you were going to play other parties, going to other cities and seeing residencies, seeing DJs who are residents and, and picking up little bits that you would take back with you? I think you do that all the time. We yeah. put on guests and sometimes everybody you see kind of get something from, yeah. it, it, but it's more like you absorb it. You're not consciously, oh, I'm going to do this. But you're often surprised at the way other people do things like Sprinkles played for us a couple of weeks ago and we were both like, that is amazing because he played so good and so deep for so long that probably we wouldn't have done that. We would have gone, right, we're hitting take two o'clock here. Yeah. We need to take it up a gear, but he didn't, but it worked brilliantly. And so you, you kind of get stuff from different people all the time. It makes you realise that just because we do it one way, it doesn't, and it works that way. There's a hundred ways. ways to skin a cat, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But as of, for listening to other residents and stuff when you're away, it's actually quite. The guys at the food club were always good. That was Raoul Benmans and uh, Jafoy, who's now Mugwump, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. They were like probably two. They, they did a proper warm up for you. But you go a lot of places, and the residents are just like. It's young guys and they're just trying to play all the big tunes before you go on as loudly as possible. So it's kind of... Uh, they don't necessarily do a warm-up. They don't you're like, what are you doing? There's, oh, yeah. there's four people at the bar and you're playing... <laughs> the beat Catch me number on one or whatever. <laughs> you're like, get a grip, mate. Why do you feel like a, a residency <clears throat> or why, do, you know, residents at clubs are important? I think they're important to, to because we, we do it. <laughs> no, I think it's important that... I think it's different in Glasgow where we're allowed to build... You know, it's, it's like a, like Harry says, it's not a lot of tourists, it's not a massive city. So you come to the sub club, you come in there because you want to be there. You know, it's not like you've walked by it. It's not in the middle of the town yeah, centre where you don't get, get random people, people random just people coming in by. off the street. Oh, that's so, a nightclub. <clears throat> so we get to do our own thing. We get the management gives us breathing space to do that. They don't force us into trying to do something that other people are doing. So we've been allowed to just do our own thing. And luckily enough for us, over 20 years, people seem to have found they like Do you it. know, it's almost like a restaurant or something that you have a set kind of menu yeah. and we know the the dishes that people sort of like or something and people come because you're guaranteed a certain th thing there, you know, that type of a thing. And how much do you find that your sets differ from one week to the next? All the they, time. They differ all the time because you might be playing with guests the records that you happen to have bought that week, yeah. you know, remind you of old, an old, like you were saying, new groove thing or yeah. something. So you go, oh shit, I forgot about this record or that record. New stuff reminds you of old stuff. And so it kind of influences where you go. And also you might be playing with someone that's more banging. So you think, how do you give them a half decent platform so that you're not trying to steal their thunder? You're just trying to take it 
to a point where they can come on and do their own thing. And every week, again, it'd be boring because you do play every week. There's certain records that you really like and you want to play them most weeks. Are, there's maybe three records each of us have got we've probably played five times out of the last six weeks, but it's very rare and you, you buy so much music, so you want to try and... And because we don't get a big set time, some weeks I'll go down Harry's playing like a disco, more disco sort of stuff. Some weeks you go down Harry's playing more acid house. Both of us will change it. You've got some such a massive yeah amount of music yeah, to play so in such a short space of time every night that every week is different. I mean, you could come down one week and love it, and it's maybe more your thing, and we were playing really banging, and you think it's going to be like that the following week. It won't. It can be completely can different. Be completely different. You know, yeah. we just we for our own sanity, it changes, but there's still there's still some semblance of you know. A sound that's there, yeah, yeah. that's always there, but we can branch off that severely or, or less severely, and depending on each week. How would a perfect night for you guys at the sub club unfold from from the start to the finish? <clears throat> I think the twentieth birthday party we did in April yeah. was pretty much like that. You started off. I think, did I start? I think I started. And it was like starting off with a Tangerine Dream building up into like James Brown, some soul funk hip hoppy stuff and then things like Norma Jean Bell and just older stuff because it was an old, it was a 20th night so just deeper house and then just from 11 to half 11 people are just coming in as I say they're coming in the excitement you can hear it big queue people are buying their drinks they're chatting to each other they're all catching up so you keep the music low and it's just throbbing away in the background and it just gradually builds as the club gets busier take the volume up and every, every now and again during the break of track take the volume up a wee bit and things are just building so subconsciously the club's just getting busier the music's getting louder it's getting more intense and it's starting to pick up speed that'll peak about two o'clock and then two o'clock the whole place is you know that's everybody's in that's going to be in the place is going it's hot sweaty and then from two to three you can go one or two ways you can take it deeper again or you can take it up even higher and then the last hour drop it for a bit and then some party tunes you know some old classics at the end with some old disco and stuff like that and then everybody leaving singing songs and being happy and can't wait for the following week i think that would be pretty much what are the downsides of having had such a long-running weekly residency i don't know, I don't know that harry's bad jokes maybe. he repeats them you like them. There's always new people though, because the crowd's changing. You can reuse, you can re- recycle your jokes. But uh, I don't think that there is many downsides. How can there be downside to we've been travelling so much yeah. recently. We go. We've got the best job in the world. I wouldn't want to be Dixon, jumping about here, there, or, or Keith and Johnny Optimal guys. You're just like that is a job you're doing. Aye, aye. We're actually doing something that is really cool, aye. and we get to do what we want. We Aye. don't have to... Not that theirs isn't cool, but Not what that Harry means is that it's too much of the hard work what they do. They're you know, traveling, traveling. Five, five countries in a week and stuff. We, 15 minutes from my house, I can walk at home. My mates are there. The beer's cold. The music's good. The sound system's good. Aye. Wake up on a Sunday quite happy, you know. Aye. What a night. Everyone's a winner. tired of that. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find that it's ever like a playing together so often that it is put strains on your friendship or in any way or it's always been like you've I just think, had this right dynamic behind the booth no, I think don't get me wrong we do each other's heads in now and again but it's like a married couple you know it doesn't mean you don't love each other no, I couldn't think of anybody it's kind of like that but you just think who else could do that who else could you do that with really you know what I mean and I, w- I wanted to ask you both about your productions you've both sort of dabbled in productions but I, I, I'm sort of interested you guys haven't released a collaborative record before you've yeah. just been on your own is that yeah. right yeah well we, we tried to do some stuff with graham from the revenge and 
the tracks were sounding really good, but then Graham's yeah. been busy. Graham's he's becoming a father. He's become a dad. And so that's kind of been put in the back burner. I do tracks with another guy. Because we stay in different parts of the city as well, so Harry's in the west, and I'm in the south, so Harry will make music with guys. I've got studios over that side, and I'm with guys that are close to my home sort of thing. I've got a studio just around the corner, and I make stuff with a guy called Lee. We just put something out on Don't Be Afraid a couple of months ago, and we've got other stuff coming up, and Harry's working with guys from Miadora and stuff, aren't you? Rob from Miadora started doing stuff with and I do stuff with Kim so we always do revenge stuff you know with other people well. but we did we went, we went in for a, a couple of weeks we and got we did some stuff right. we got some, some okay stuff huh? yeah we were just doing looping stuff up with the 909 using the 909 as an external trigger and doing like sample and sort of stuff and it was really good but as I say Graham's been so busy he's been working with Sister Sledge as well as us yeah, so he's been a bit busy for us <laughs> yeah. Dominic your seventh sign label put out some really interesting uh, records from the US house guys is it still up and running it's still up and running we only put one track out this year mainly because I've been so busy again I've been getting sent tracks but I've just not liked any of them so I only liked one thing or one EP worth of stuff that I get sent this year so I'm not putting stuff out if I don't like it so we put a thing out with Brad Peterson who's had stuff out in Moods and Grooves and stuff like that in Detroit and Neville Watson did a remix of it I'm really happy with it it should have been out ages ago but now that all the big companies are putting vinyl out again it's been a nightmare at the pressing plant as I'm sure a few independents have found so it just went out a couple of weeks ago but I'm happy with it we got a great distributor clone who don't hassle us although we've only put one record out this year but our record sales have been amazing over the years I didn't realise because I very rarely speak to anyone who has a record label but we were averaging a couple of thousand vinyl which is apparently pretty good this one I don't know how it's doing but it's really deep Larry Heard style house track you know it's, it's beautiful proper deep house but that's that's that and hopefully some more people will send me some good music and I can put some stuff out next year and you guys have done three mixed CDs, three official mixed CDs. Yeah. One I, I wanted to ask you about was the 20 Years Underground Mix for Soma in, in 2008. What was, the, what was the reaction to that at the time? Just, you just do things in the moment, really. Just, I don't yeah, really yeah, overanalyze or think. I can't even remember. That's when Graham was in Newton Place. I was, I was living in Spain at the time. It was one of those ones yeah. that was tricky. But we just put together a list. We sent each other an email of tunes. We crossed off the ones that we'd both, you know, thought of. And then we just got a pile of them all together and put the mix together. It was pretty much as simple as that, wasn't it? And, you know, just get records you like, put them on it. Did you find that at the time, like the release of that created a discernible like uh, boost in, in bookings or? No, no. No, not really, no, did no. it? <laughs> <laughs> not at all, even though it was really good. I mean, but. Do you know, it's just like you coast through it. I've, we've both had moderately successful records and successful records and can it just comes and goes and I think when you're doing it a long time you don't I, we've never really been, get too excited nah, about oh this this could mean this and we don't want that anyway you know it's not like I'm doing this so I can get I can get loads of gigs we do it because we like the music we put it together and we get a chance to put tracks on it you know, that, yeah. that we like. That was pretty much why we did it. We, we didn't do it for money. We didn't do it so we could get gigs. We just did it because that's what we do. That's what yeah, we like doing. loads of things that people go, oh, that's amazing. You've done an RE mix. You've done this. You've done whatever. That'll be good. And you kind of go, yeah, it might be. I don't know. It's just things just come and go. So who reads yesterday's papers? And Harry, last year you were joined behind the booth by your son, Jasper. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, I think he's, he was been there way before that, was he not? Mm -hmm. Two years ago, maybe? Maybe. Or three years ago. Yeah, it's really cool. No, three. 
I think the first time Jasper played at the club. Well, well, easy because I was just saying to Dominic in the way here, it was really weird. He was touring the States with Jackmaster and he said, come over to the house. I've, I've just bought loads of stuff because for years he's, he's just been nicking my records. <laughs> and so I went over and I was saying to Dominic, it was amazing the stuff that he'd bought. More than 50, 60 or more percent of it was stuff that I'd bought as well. So I think he must have just absorbed. And also he's been coming to the sub since 17 or whatever, or 18. And he was there, I think he said he went like two years or something. Without, Every week, yeah. Without yeah. missing a Saturday. You know, so he's been there all the time. So when he gets really busy, I, think, I reckon we should get some of his wages. Totally. But, you know, quite often we'd go to the pub at night or Graham the Revenge had his studio in my house for a wee while as well and we'd just stay up late at night and just play records back to back. So we've been doing this for years. It's kind of effortless. And you think he's got a like a bright future in front of him in terms of DJing? Well, I would, I would hope so. I would hope so. He can never. I mean, there's so he, many he amazing... Say, we know a lot of guys that have been big at times and now they're back doing their day jobs or whatever again. Sure. So realistically, you, fingers crossed, yes. It it's was such never a fickle a, business. It was never a career option when we started. And it was just now it is. Now it's a strategy and a plan and whatever, whereas we are actually pretty unstrategic and unplanned. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of happened. But you found that that's kind of, that's kind of worked out for it's you. It's worked out okay for yep, us, and yep. I hope it works out for Jasper. He said in an interview that I read that he aspires to be a, a resident at Subculture. Could you see that ever happening? <laughs> no one likes to put on Harry, aye. One of those dice, maybe. <laughs> I know. Don't get Join back. the queue. Aye, I know. <laughs> I think everybody's asked for that job. <laughs> and how long do you guys see yourself? Like, you, you said it's a... It's now a career option for people, and you yeah. you started in this game well before that was something that people thought about too deeply. How long can you see you guys keeping on DJing? Sometimes you get the fear and you think, God, what if something happened? Like at one point there was a, a fire in the building next door to us and water damaged the subclub, our venue, and all of a sudden you went from, oh, God, what are we going to do now? Luckily, we operated at different venues for, what, five years? Four, right, something. Three, was it as many as that? When was that? That was just, we just only after get, the millennium. We only get back in, what, 10, 12 years ago, maybe? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and so we operated our, our nights, you know, it was ourselves and Optimal were the main nights at that time, and we just operated from different venues for about five years till we get back into Jamaica Street again. Sometimes you get the fear and you think, what if, what if something like that happened, or the people decided to sell it to a company that didn't like you. I've been through about five or six different owners of the club, but I don't know, you just deal with it as and when it happens. I don't see why you can DJ. It's not as if, you know, the only thing you need to worry about is your ears. You know, your ears going. That would be pretty much it. I've always had a pretty consistent taste in music and trying to reflect what's new and current of yeah. the time with what we feel from the past is relevant to what's happening now. And it's just something that we've always just done. It's just been second nature. Yeah, but you, you don't know. What the, none of us know what the future holds in store.